Let's get into our series. We're in Reboot Part 4. So basically, we've been looking at getting over 2020 and going into 2021. Some challenges in the road in 2021 so far, but uh, we're believing God to get back to basically our factory settings. So the concept behind Reboot is, you know, if I have computer problems, I shut it off, turn it back on again. Usually it works. For us in the church, as believers, as followers of Jesus, maybe just you in your own life, might be time to just shut it off and turn it back on and get back to our factory settings and try to grab hold of what's really important. So we're, we've been covering our vision statement here at Good Hope Church, reach up, rise up, reach out. It's our core concept. It's our fundamental compass of what we're all about. You know, reach up, a real relationship with the living God is available to you. Rise up, a real relationship with the living God will change you and reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. This is what we're about at Good Hope Church. And so far through this series, we've talked about getting the plank out of your own eye that we need to look at ourselves and work on ourselves rather than pointing the finger at other people. We've looked at being changed from the inside out, letting the Holy Spirit of God come in and change us on the inside so that we can do and say the right things. And then last week, we talked about being people of prayer, grabbing a hold of prayer deeply and consistently. You know, take five. It doesn't have to be a huge, huge deal because Jesus said, you know, it's not about the length of your prayers. It's about God knowing what you need ahead of time. So we can pray for other people. God will intercede. So that's what we've covered so far this week, part four, we're going to talk about being productive citizens for the kingdom of God. One of those factory settings, the people of God are to serve the Lord and be productive for his kingdom. So getting back to a factory setting is about being a productive citizen for the kingdom of God. I remember way back over three decades ago when I first became a Christian, I didn't know anything about Christianity. Didn't have the foggiest clue. I had seen a picture Bible in a dentist's office. and I had a few general concepts of what was going on, but really I didn't have much of a clue. And I thought, well, this is a great opportunity because I don't have a bunch of stuff to unlearn. One of the things that I've seen as a significant hindrance for people in coming to Christ and being activated in their faith is having to unlearn certain things that they've picked up either inadvertently, you know, nobody ever wanted to teach them that, but they picked it up in, uh, in church, in religion anyway, or just stuff that was actually just wrong, that they were taught false teachings and false attitudes and things like that. So I didn't have anything to unlearn. So I thought, well, this is a great opportunity. I don't want to learn a bunch of stuff that people say and have that color my vision. I want to just study the Bible and see what the Bible has to say from you know a 19, 20-year-old, a young adult who doesn't have stuff to unlearn. So I kind of made a vow and said, I'm going to just read the Bible for 10 years. I'm not going to look at different theological stances. I'm not going to look at commentaries on the Bible or interpretations of the Bible. I'm just going to read the Bible for 10 years, and then I should have a fairly decent grounding. And after that, I'll go on to these other things. As far as like trying to solidify a doctrinal stance or something along those lines. I just went only to the Bible, not from a doctrine to the Bible, because I figured why taint that view. And I learned a bunch of things in doing that. And one of the things that I learned is that God values productive citizens. 
that Jesus cares about whether or not we are productive for his father's kingdom. So there's all these parables that Jesus teaches, all these things in the scriptures about that. You know, you got the talents and the minas and the vine and the branches. And then Jesus talking to Peter, he's like, feed my lambs. You know, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. All these different things that are about being productive for the kingdom of God. And there's just so many in there. It's difficult to mention all of them. And this was a message I was able to understand. As a new believer, I could understand the idea of being productive. I grew up in an environment where productivity, you know, earning your keep, being worth having around was a significant value. And so seeing Jesus talk about being productive for the kingdom of God, you know, you want to take that mina and turn it into 10. You want to take your five talents and turn it into 10. You know, I understood what that meant. I understood uh, how to desire to do that. You know, some of how to do it. I wasn't so good at it at that point, but it was a value that I could understand and grab a hold of. There were other things in the scriptures that took me a lot longer to understand and some that I didn't even notice as I read through the scriptures, even, even things like understanding the Holy Spirit, you know, going through the Bible over and over the new Testament over and over, uh, just missing significant things about the Holy Spirit. And then you go through and it's like all over uh, our topics and, and discussions about the Holy Spirit. So some things I had trouble seeing and understanding and other things I was able to grab hold of very quickly. Some of the things I had trouble with were things like my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I remember my in-laws had that on their, on their wall. They had a carving with those verses from Matthew. And I thought my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Really? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, it seems like it's, it's a heavy burden and, and you'd be martyred, you know, like, th- does this make sense? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It took me a while to understand what that meant. Uh, another thing that was difficult for me was things like we love because he first loved us. You know, I had a critical spirit. I didn't have a, a love others because God loves me. I was a, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Kind of a person you know, and understanding the significance of if you do that wrong, it's going to affect these people in this way. And and I, I was angry about that sort of a thing. So things like we love because he first loved us. My yoke is easy. These were things that were difficult for me to understand. I wasn't able to grab hold of them. In fact, even just in the last few years, I've finally gotten to the place where I don't feel like I'm just perpetually failing to serve God good enough. The reality is we're made worthy by God and we do our best. We do our diligence. We trust the Lord with the rest and we can have peace in our heart. It's okay. That took me a long time, a long time. I always felt like I just wasn't enough. And that's a lie. Uh, It's a lie from the pit of hell. You're enough. I'm enough. We need to be diligent. Don't get lazy with that. But we can have peace in our hearts knowing that we're doing what God has called us to do. In fact, there's over 2 billion Christians on the planet. And so if you and I just do a 2 billionth of the work, we're getting her done. So there you go. Some things are easy for certain people to understand and other things are difficult for them to understand. So my question to you is, What parts of the truths of God are easy for you to understand? And what parts of the truths of God are difficult for you to understand? It's not that 
There's only the things that are easy for you to understand and easy for you to see. There's so many other truths of God as well in the scriptures. And you don't want to just hold on to the things you understand. You want to expand your vision and your understanding and your connection with the truth of God in order to grab hold of these other things as well. It's an important part of our process of growing in Christ. And I want to look at an example in the scripture of the value the Lord has for productive citizens in his kingdom, and also the significance of realizing what we understand and what we don't understand and how that can affect our actions. So I want to go to the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. I'll read the parable first, and then I'll read the interpretation of it. This is a fantastic parable, which is a story that Jesus tells that has a secondary meaning. He's not actually talking about a farmer. He's using that as an analogy to teach us about the things of God. In this case, Jesus not only tells the parable, but he also gives the explanation of the parable, which is extremely helpful. So here we go. The parable of the sower from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So Jesus is saying, I hope you get it. Whoever has ears, let them hear. He later explains this to his disciples. But we see here four categories. We have the seed that is sown. And I was on a missions trip in Albania, and I actually got to see a guy with a huge bag of seed walking through a field, reaching in and just chucking seed in the air, just like in the Bible. So some places in the world, they still do things just like this. And As this seed is sown, some fell on the path. So it's completely exposed. Birds come and eat it up. Obviously, the farmer isn't going to get any produce from that seed. Some seed fell in rocky soil or very shallow soil. This is like the, I don't know, if you you haven't done your edging on your sidewalk lately, the dirt kind of comes in. And if you planted flowers on the dirt over the sidewalk, it's not going to grow unless it gets a lot of rain. It'd have to rain every day because it's just too shallow of soil to dry up. And then there's the The seed that is sown and it's among the thorns, that means that you didn't weed your garden and how much produce are you going to get? There's all these other weeds, all this other stuff going on, and so you don't get much produce. And then there's the good soil that produces 160 or 30 times what is sown, is very productive, is multiplying. So these are the four categories. Which one does Jesus value? Clearly, it's the good soil that produces 160 or 30 times. Not the choked out, thorny soil, not the shallow soil, not the hard path. This isn't what Jesus is valuing. He's valuing the good soil that produces a crop. So what does this mean? Well, happily in this parable, we have 
the explanation straight from Jesus here in chapter 13, verse 18. Matthew records it because he told Jesus told his disciples, he didn't tell the masses, but he told them. And so we get some inside information here. Matthew 13, 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So we have the four categories now become four types of people who hear the word of God, who read the word of God, who become aware of the truths of God. There are those who like the hard path that the word of God does not penetrate their hearts. It's just on top and is taken away. They don't understand it. They don't grab a hold of any of it. Some people like all of us that are followers of Christ, understand some of the truths of God and some of it is difficult. Now, for some people, they don't understand any of it and they just completely refuse to acknowledge the truths of God, believe in God, trust in Jesus. They refuse all of that. And that's the hard path, people who refuse the truths of God. Then you've got the shallow, rocky soil. And this is people who understand the good things of God. They at once receive it with joy. You know, they're like, yes. But then they didn't understand that trouble and persecution are going to come because of the word. They didn't understand the sacrifice and the hardships and the difficulties that come with being a follower of Jesus. So then when those hardships and persecutions, those sacrifices and difficulties come, they're disillusioned and they're hurt. And they're, you know, like, why God, I thought everything was going to work perfectly now for the rest of my life. And they just didn't understand (laughs) that there's more to it than the love of God and the forgiveness of God. Now there's the battles that we have to fight, the spiritual battles. They're not prepared for that. They don't understand that part of it. And so then they fall away even though they understand to have joy about the good news of the gospel, they still fell away because they didn't understand the sacrifices and the battles that are there. Then we have the thorny soil. They understand the things of God, but don't understand the priority that the things of God need to have. So all of these other things take up their time, take up their interest. You know, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the plant so it's not able to be productive. And then you have the good soil. These are people who get it, who understand the priority we need to put the things of God at in our lives. They understand the hardships and the difficulties as well as the good news and the joys of following Jesus. So again, which parts of the truths of God are easy for you to understand Which ones are difficult? You understand the parts that made the shallow soil people at first receive it with joy. Do you understand that Jesus loves you? That God has a plan for your life? That forgiveness and new life is available for the asking? Do you understand that the power of God is there for healing and deliverance and to to fix you on the inside? Do you understand the part that brings joy? 
Do you understand the sacrifice and the trouble and the persecution and the way people will misunderstand you and think all kinds of bad things about you, even though they're wrong and they, they don't get who you are? You know, I mean, Christians aren't the only people in this world who are misunderstood, but Christians are people in this world who are misunderstood. And, you know, that's no fun. It's no fun to be misunderstood and labeled because you love Jesus. Do you understand the sacrifices and the hardships, the difficulties that come with being being a follower of Christ. Do you understand that the worries and the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this life can distract us from the most important things? You understand that we are called to put Jesus first, to not get distracted by the worries of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth. And I'm going to ask you a question. Are you worried about our political situation? Are you worried about the direction the country is going? Don't let that worry distract you from Jesus. I think there's a, definitely a group of Christians who have made politics an idol. And this is dangerous. We don't want to make politics an idol where it takes our focus away from serving Jesus and walking in the ways of God. But now we're completely focused on political things. And then also the other piece of the idol idea is that the idol is the thing that you trust in that's going to solve your problems. Politics aren't going to solve our problems. Us, you know, winning a certain political battle. It's Jesus that is our savior. He is our healer. He is our deliverer. He's the one who fills us with the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus that we need to look to and have our attention on and make the highest priority, not the worries of this life. So we don't want to make a politics an idol. We also want to make sure to not fall into the trap of the deceitfulness of wealth. And I just love the way that's phrased, the deceitfulness of wealth. What does that mean, the deceitfulness of wealth? Well, it means that somehow money makes us think that it's going to solve all of our problems, that it's the highest and most important value. And it just isn't. I heard a preacher say it this way one time. I just think it's beautiful and profound. He said, money makes a great servant, but an evil master. It's okay to have money, <laughs> to use money, but you want to make it your servant. You don't want money telling you what to do. You don't want money being your purpose and the thing that's going to fulfill you because it just won't. Money is an evil master, but a great servant. So a high value for Jesus, for God, is to have productive citizens, ones like the good soil who produce a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. You know, like with our Take 5 initiative, we just want to harvest Five times, not a hundred or 60 or 30. Now, if you can pray for a hundred people every day, hallelujah, you keep at it. I don't want to slow you down, but for all of us, hey, five would be fantastic. If everybody's praying for five, then we're going to get the job done because it's exponential growth. 160 or 30 times, that's profound exponential growth. So there's a value of the Lord in productive citizens for his kingdom. So how do we do that at Good Hope Church? How do we try to help people be productive citizens in the kingdom of God? And that's basically what I want to talk about now for a few minutes is the empowerment model that we have at Good Hope Church. So there's different ways to do church, different 
things to emphasize in church, I want to look at a few different models. You know, being productive is important. The church should help people be productive for the kingdom of God. This helps everybody. We have this empowerment model. Then the individual hears, well done, good and faithful servant. That's something you want. The church becomes strong because it's full of good and faithful servants and the kingdom of God advances. And this was kind of our plan from the beginning. One of the ideas that was just firm in my heart was, if we start with 50 people and we get those 50 people to their full potential in Christ, we'll have 80 people. And if we get those 80 people to their full potential in Christ, we'll have 120 people. And if we can get that 120 people to their full potential in Christ, we'll have 180 people. You can see where I'm going with this because I had done ministry in the past where it was like, if it needs doing, I'll do it because I'm Superman and I can get the job done. And that turned out very poorly, didn't work well at all. And it's simply not the biblical model either. You know, it isn't the pastor is the one who does all the work. That's simply not the biblical model. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. We have these different ways of thinking about church, different models. I want to talk about four models real quick. You know, ours I describe as the empowerment model. Some people might think of it as a discipleship model. But let me look at these four models. Got the empowerment model, which for us basically is, I want to help you get to your full potential in Christ. I'm not going to do the work for you, but I want to help you be the person who can get the work done, who can step into their full calling in Christ. That's the empowerment model. Then you've got the attractional model, which is basically, hey, let's have church so much fun and so awesome and so life-giving and so profound that just people want to come. You know, you attract people with fantastic church services. That's the attractional model. Then you've got the relational model, which is, you know, maybe the church services aren't that great, but we're, we're friends. And so you're going to come because we have this relationship. We have this connection and using that relationship to be the foundation of the church or the ministry. And then the fourth model would be the traditional model. This is doing things in ways that people are very comfortable, you know, that just works well for them. You know, for example, a traditional model, you might be thinking robes and candles. Sure. But in our types of churches, we have a new traditional model, which is sing four songs, take an offering, preach for a while and pray. That's the tradition that we have for our services. So it's not just long-standing traditions. There can be traditions that are a generation or two old as well. So there's traditions. The traditions make people feel comfortable. They understand what's going on. Uh, obviously, relationships. God built us for relationships. That's an important thing. Having church be worth coming to for the event itself, that's valuable. And then for us, the empowerment model, helping people reach their full potential in Christ. To us, that's the most important one of the four as far as our focus is concerned. Now, we try to employ all four of those, but our main focus is the empowerment model. And I think pretty much all good churches, even if they're considered to be attractional churches or traditional churches, they will incorporate all four of these as well. They'll definitely have relationships, you know, life-giving relationships inside the church. Church will be worth coming to, you know, all that sort of a thing. Good churches, good ministries are going to have all four of these going at the same time. All four of these can also be taken in the wrong direction. You know, if the attractional model is taken too far, it can be entertainment. If the relational model is taken too far, it's just a club. If the traditional model is too far, it can turn out to just be 
dead, boring, just repeating the same thing. The empowerment model is taken too far and it goes into that discipleship thing. It can get weird into we're right, they're wrong, into some kind of theology cult or something. And that, that's a disaster as well. Direction we don't want to go. We want to empower people to serve the Lord. So all of these things can be done right. All of these things can be done poorly. And all of them are important, but we focus on empowerment. And besides, the fifth model that I know of is the Lone Ranger model. And that's where you just, you and Jesus, and that's it. That's not a biblical model either. So just so you know that. In this empowerment model at Good Hope Church to help people be productive citizens in the kingdom of God, because that's a value that Jesus has. It's a value that God has. We have what we call our discipleship pathway. And basically it's this. Uh, This is how do we take somebody who doesn't even know the Lord into their full potential in Christ? We've got a six-step process that goes like this. Pre-evangelism, evangelism, care, discipleship, involvement, and advancement. And that's basically pre-evangelism is just don't be weirdos that drive people away from God. Be decent people and part of the community. Evangelism, any form of trying to give people an opportunity to choose to follow Christ. That can be on YouTube, on television. It can be in live services. It can be one-on-one experiences in small groups. I don't really care. Any way you give people an opportunity to choose to follow Christ is evangelism. Then care. People are messed up. They need some help. We need to get them some care. Discipleship, learning how to follow Jesus. Right now, you're learning that. You can study the Bible on your own. You can learn that. Small groups are great ways for discipleship to happen. Then you got involvement. That's where we help people volunteer in the church, give them ways to serve the Lord, and then advancement. You know, as you prove yourself, you can continue on and, and go up the, uh, the chain of command, so to speak, in the church. So this is kind of our process, but that might be a little complicated. Did that sound a little complicated to you? I have a tendency to overcomplicate things. To me, it seems pretty straightforward, nice, beautiful six-step process. But I could talk about that for an hour, and then everybody would be asleep, and that's not so good. So I've got another way to look at this. And I'm hoping that this will kind of connect with people's hearts. It's something we've been working on here at Good Hope for a while about how to go from not knowing the Lord to your full potential in Christ in three steps. Find your peace, find your people, and find your purpose. Find your peace, that heart peace, that place you've made peace with your creator and who you are and how your life is going and what's going on in this world. You have peace in your heart, finding your peace, finding your people. We're not meant to do this life alone. We need trusted friends and people to help us through it, that we can help them. And finding your people is so important. We don't want anybody to be alone. And then finding your purpose, finding the things that get you up in the morning that make a difference for the eternal kingdom of God that help people. And I've had people tell me, well, I think right now I'm just called to come to church and, and smile and talk to people not as a greeter, but just as a bloater doing that on my own. I'm like, hallelujah. We need people smiling and talking to people. Purpose doesn't have to be you're the next Billy Graham. It can be these simple and sometimes profound things. Finding your peace, finding your people, and finding your purpose. If I could give one gift to this world, it would be a tool to help them find their peace, and to help them find their people, and to help them find their purpose. And guess what? I believe I have the tool right here. (laughs) You can read the scriptures 
Now you have to understand the scriptures. Too many people go to the word and they don't find things because they can't see it. But we're going to go to the scripture now because I believe this helps us with it. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read a fairly long section and then we're going to look at just three verses specifically. But this is just so beautiful. I couldn't stop myself from reading Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 through 16. So it's like 16 sentences. It's not that long. So here we go. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. In him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I got to tell you, there is a million things in those verses that are just amazing, like being blown back and forth by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. I got to tell you, if you uh, have Netflix or you have the ability to watch uh, a documentary called The Social Dilemma, I encourage you to watch that. Not a big conspiracy guy. I believe in trust in Jesus and I have in my heart at peace But as far as understanding how to acquire information and process information, the social dilemma, have your kids watch it. It's important stuff. So that'll keep us from getting blown here and there. But I just want to focus on on those few verses, verses 11 through 13. It says this, we reread this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to a whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what does that mean? It means that God establishes leaders in the body of Christ. You know, that verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He establishes leaders in the body of Christ to equip people to serve. That next verse, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So the leaders equip the people and the goal then through the verse 13, with the goal that the individuals and the group may attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's look at that goal. 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, do you think the church has gotten there? The body of Christ has gotten there. You know, I think we might be blown here and there. But anyway, the takeaway from this is that productivity is largely a group effort. That there's individual productivity. You know, you read like the parable of the talents and you think it's, I'm going to go change the world for Jesus. And then you read these other verses and other things. And it's like, we're to come together and work together to advance the kingdom of God. There's the church, the capital C church, the global body of Christ that has all these leaders that God has uh, picked and put in place to help people be able to serve the Lord so that we can make this world a better place and attain to the full measure of what God has for us. That's just amazing. We want to grab hold of the fullness of Christ. God values productive citizens throughout the scriptures. This is kind of a group effort thing. How are we going to land this plane? We talked about the, the ways that at Good Hope Church, we try to do this through our empowerment model, discipleship pathway. And I want to kind of go back to that idea of finding your peace, finding your people, and finding your purpose. And we'll land the plane on this. Because I think if you can seek the Lord, you know, Jesus said, seek and you will find, ask and it will be given to you, knock and the door will be opened. If you can do that with trying to find your peace in your heart, if you can do that with trying to find your people, and you can do that with trying to find your purpose, if you, if you just take that away from this time, this sermon, then I believe that that's something incredibly valuable. You can seek the Lord for those things and grab hold of them. But some of these things other people can help you with. Some of these things, you got to answer the bell yourself. You know, like you got to rise to the occasion on your own. You can't expect other people to do it for you. And some of these things only the Lord can do for you. There are things in finding your peace, finding your people, finding your purpose that only God can do in your heart. And I want to close with the beginning of that, finding your peace. Because, you know, I get to know lots and lots and lots of people. And what I see is people with inner turmoil sabotaging their lives and sabotaging their relationships and sabotaging their ability to be productive for the kingdom of God because they have this inner turmoil. They have this inner insecurity, this inner wounded spirit. They have this inner pride. They have this inner confusion. They have something on the inside that spills out into chaos, that spills out into destructive and often self-destructive things. And that to me is so important so that we need to start with that. And this is something that God can give us, something we can trust the Lord for. So we're going to close with Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God is something, again, if I could give this world a tool so that they could find their peace, they could find their people, and they could find their purpose. That would be a beautiful thing. And that's the scriptures. And maybe my part of it is bringing out the truths in ways people can see. But look what it says here. Don't be anxious about anything. This isn't a shaming. Oh, you're anxious, bad. Don't be. It isn't that. It tells you how to get there. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
So we need to stay thankful when we pray. And then we go to the Lord with these issues. And it says here, the promise is amazing. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want the peace of God to guard my heart and my mind. I want the peace of God to guard your heart and your mind. Because what would it be like to go through this life with all its turmoil, with all its uncertainty, with all this stuff going on, but filled with peace on the inside. What a gift. Let's do what it says there in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Let's go to the Lord with thanksgiving in our hearts and present these requests to God. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you and and Lord, with all the issues we've got going on in our country, all the issues we've got going on with COVID, with small businesses and the financial struggles that people are having, the depression and the domestic issues and all the stuff that's going on through isolation. Oh, there's all this stuff. But Lord, your promise is that we can find peace that guards our hearts and our minds, that is beyond our understanding, that is beyond the circumstances. And so, Lord, we come before you with thankful hearts. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that you love us and that you care about us. You've got a plan for our lives to bring us through in victory. Thank you, Lord, for that. Father, help us to look for things to be thankful for, to cultivate thankfulness in our hearts. And Lord, we present these things before you, these things that cause us anxiety. We lay at your feet, Lord Jesus, and we say, this we release to you. But we want your peace to guard our hearts and our minds. If you've not turned your life to Christ, if you haven't received that new life that comes from forgiveness and pledging your life to serve the Lord, then right now you can do that. Just pray a prayer along these lines in your own words, or you can pray with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know that you died on the cross, that I could be forgiven. You paid the price for me to be made worthy. And so Lord, please forgive me redeem me and bring me into a new life so that I can learn your ways and serve you. If you prayed that prayer, you started something new. And Father, I pray for each one. Lord, help us to be productive for your kingdom. Help us to know that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Help us to know that we're to love others because you first loved us. And help us to know that when we do our part, it makes a real difference. That our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, Father, bless us and encourage us. Let your peace wash over us as we seek you with thanksgiving. And, Lord, bless these days. In Jesus' name, amen.